Hello and bienvenido San Antonio. Welcome to the Alamo Hour, discussing the people, places, and passion that make our city. My name is Justin Hill, a local attorney, a proud San Antonioan, and keeper of chickens and bees. On the Alamo Hour, you'll get to hear from the people that make San Antonio great and unique and the best kept secret in Texas. We're glad that you're here. All right, welcome to the Alamo Hour. Today's guest is Marcus Baskerville. Marcus is the brewer and co-founder of Weathered Souls Brewing right here in San Antonio. Uh, as if the story about all the inventive beers is not impressive enough, you you spearheaded and created what turned into a international movement um, called the Black is Beautiful movement, which ended up including 1,200 breweries across 22 countries, and for us Texans, 122 participating breweries uh, just here in Texas. So I'm really excited to, to meet you and, and chat with you, and thank you for doing this, Marcus. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. You are in uh, your yeast lab, is what I think I heard you say a second ago. Uh, no, so I office used to be my youth lab. Uh, now I'm in my crate office. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you grow a business, you kind of grow where you can grow. Exactly. Okay. It's not so, bad. Yeah. Bad. So we're, we do all these kind of similar. I want to ask you a few questions, kind of get to know you a little bit, talk to you about San Antonio. I know some of the answers cause I did some research beforehand, but when and, and what brought you to San Antonio? Um, so I moved to San Antonio almost about eight years ago. I think June will be eight years. Um, what brought me to San Antonio was actually a promotion, um, with, I used to be a, in fraud prevention, uh, dealing with banking. And I came out here to train, um, some new employees as they moved to corporate office from Sacramento to San Antonio. Um, in the process of that ended up getting a little promotion and decided to stay. Born so, and raised in Sacramento, right? Yes. All right. I moved. Yeah. So you moved here eight years ago. Um, how have you liked it so far? I've enjoyed it. I'm still here, right? I mean, the weather is so, very different um, than Sacramento. Yeah. Um, weather is a huge difference. Uh, that's what keeps <laughs> my family from coming too often. Is they're like, oh, your guys' weather is so sporadic. Um, but outside of that um, and the occasional you know, bad drivers, um, I've really enjoyed San Antonio. Good. So uh, you, you haven't been here all that long. I mean, eight years is a while, but what are some of your favorite, like, sort of hidden places in San Antonio, hidden gems, places that, you know, when you moved here, nobody really told you about, and then when you found them, you thought, wow, how did I not know about this? For me, the the botanical and the Japanese tea gardens are two of those things that when I finally went there, I thought, you know, why didn't anyone tell me about this? Do you have any places like that here? That would definitely be one of them. I actually just went to that recently uh, with my children a couple of months ago, and that was the first time I had been. And I was like, wow, this is a beautiful place. Like, I wish I have known about this years ago you wouldn't even know um, you're here yeah exactly yeah. um and then outside of that uh one of the things originally when i first moved here was the pearl i really enjoyed the pearl area uh just to be outside and, and that type of thing uh, nobody really put me onto the pearl back in the day and outside of that really um some of the like uh different trails and and hiking and different things like that. I like to try to get out outdoors. I'm always inside yeah. um, all of the time. And so when I do have the opportunity to get outside, I, I like to try. And the, the hiking and all those options. A little bit of sunshine in my life. Yeah, those have improved a lot since the time you've been here. When I first moved here, I, I haven't been here that much longer, but they're, you know, the, the, the Mission Trail South and all that stuff wasn't even an option back then. So, uh, okay. 
I, I read about sort of your your really um, big obsession into home brewing, how you sort of came up in the brewing world. And one of the things was you were very passionate about it, very focused about it. Uh, do you have any odd hobbies outside of brewing? Uh, bourbon collecting has become a new hobby for me. Um, I got into bourbon about three years ago. Um, and then that's kind of has transitioned into other things. So I've been on a quest to make the perfect old fashioned. Okay. Um, so that's something that I do at home. Like I've changed my ices from the, the sphere and now I have the cubes and been working with different, uh, oranges, different bitters and different whiskey combinations. Uh, so that's turned into a huge little, uh, hobby for me. Uh, even reading on the history of old fashions. Um, but definitely the whole bourbon thing outside of that. I mean, beer and gulfs most of my life. Um, so when I do have the opportunity to get out of here, um, it's mostly, you know, spending time with the kids and and making sure that they, they, they get their daddy time. Do you boil your water before you make ice? No, um, I actually have ice molds that produce clear, clear ice. Okay. All right. Um, have you done any of the Fiesta events? Do you have a favorite event? Um, I've only been to Fiesta once. Um, I am very much the introvert, despite the fact that I've had to do a lot of talking as of the last year. Um, and so those groups, large, huge groups of just people around make me very nervous. So, <laughs> so, so I'm with I you. Have been to, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the really big Yeah, so events. I've been to Fiesta once. There's a lot of small events, too, you should check out. Okay. I, mean, I know they, I did. Uh, I can't even remember the name of which one I went to. Uh, I don't remember, but it was when my parents came to town and we ended up going out and enjoying Fiesta. But it's a lot of people. Um, and then even then, and, uh, you look at many people for me. So generally, uh, you know, if I'm doing stuff, it's in the, the smaller crowd small crowd room where I can count the number of people. Yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, what is your favorite beer to drink just every day? What would be your go-to beer style? Um, my favorite to style would definitely be probably a Pilsner. Um, also in that realm is definitely West coast IPA. I'm a huge West coast IPA fan just because that's the, you know, where I came from basically. Okay. Um, one of the first styles that I got into gravitated towards, uh, when I actually got into the beer scene. Um, so generally if I am going to have a beer, it's going to be something on the lighter spectrum, um, something lighter. So it's not as heavy on your stomach or you got more than one of them. Uh, so generally it's a lager or a West coast style IPA. All right. Um, Y'all, y'all do some hard ciders as well. Are you, are you planning on, or are you interested in branching out into other fermented alcoholic drinks? At the moment, no. I have gotten a still recently, okay. So I do want to get into the realm of uh, doing my own whiskey and bourbon. Um, it's kind of made me nervous. I need to have somebody come over and assist me. <laughs> um, you know, the whole blowing up my garage thing yeah. has made me nervous. So. Um, I'll wait until an expert has some extra time to, to come by the house. I have a few people in mind and we'll test it out and, and see what we can come up with. I'll, and I actually like the, the way that I'm, that I am when it comes to like, when I get into interest of things, like I get full blown into it. 
Um, so even with the still, I'm going to make sure that I can either source me in a white American oak barrel, or I even want to go ahead and char my own barrel. But when the time comes, we'll figure it out. But, um, you know, I want to, I want to engulf into the whole experience of, of creating my own whiskey or bourbon. Um, so when I do get some additional time, we'll go ahead and, and experiment with that a little bit. But that's at at home. Is a barrel maker a cooper? Is a is a barrel maker called a cooper? Is that what? Cooper? Yeah. Yeah. I guess what what the. I think so. Do we have any coopers in San Antonio? I don't want to make barrels. (laughs) I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. Another obviously has to be some in in Texas with all the with all the um, distilleries that are popping up in the state of Texas, but I don't. I've never heard of one in San Antonio. So I had the I had a boyan from Dorchel on who you know they started as a distiller and then they got into brewing. Um, but his his still has its own interesting story to coming over from Serbia. I didn't know he was from Serbia. Yeah, and it's you know they bring in um, nectarines or gosh I, I feel bad that I can't remember not peaches. Maybe. <laughs> Apricots. They bring in apricots from Serbia still for their rakia. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's an interesting story. I haven't been to Dorchel, uh since COVID. Maybe I have to go by and check them out soon and have a little cocktail. Yeah, he's got a really interesting family history behind the still and the rakia and all of that stuff. I mean, I think he even got stopped by the feds bringing in rakia. So basically he got arrested for bootlegging when he was like 12. So he's got an interesting story about that. <laughs> so so what? Let's pick his brain about that one day. So you've gotten into old fashions. What's the perfect old fashioned right now? My favorite to make right now is a mocha old fashioned. So I ended up uh, creating a coffee bitters. <laughs> um, well, excuse me, a coffee simple syrup. And uh, it's actually a little bit of chocolate whiskey and then um, obviously an orange. I've gotten into, I like the uh, the dry mandarin oranges from uh, Trader Joe's. Okay. Um, those are really good. Oh. Yeah, those are really good. I, I, I have an orange tree that was just gangbusters for years, but I think the freeze probably wiped it out, which is pretty unfortunate because it was probably 12 feet tall. It was a big old navel orange tree. Oh, man. So let's talk about it. You got into homebrewing kind of in the way that a lot of people thought they were going to at some point. I mean, I even had that Mr. Homebrew kit or whatever it was called, and that's kind of how you got into it, right? <laughs> yeah, so my brother had a, got a Mr. Beer kit for Christmas for my sister, and he had brewed a beer, and it just it was you know horrible. Mr. Beer kits don't make good beer as it is. Um, but it was one of those things where it was like, well, I can make a better beer than you. And uh, we actually ended up doing our first couple of beers together. And then I ended up moving to San Antonio about a year later. Uh, when I moved out here, obviously, I didn't know anybody. Uh, was really more focused on work and that type of thing. And so I ended up um, homebrewing here in San Antonio. Um, at some point, um, I ended up getting in a car accident within like the first couple of months that I moved here. And I took the money that I got from the accident, upgraded my homebrew equipment. Um, from there, you know, did a couple of beers here and there. 
and nothing ever really hit. Nothing was ever really that good. And at some point, I actually almost quit homebrewing. And then somebody ended up talking to me and saying, like, no, you know, you invested all this money within homebrewing, that type of thing, and you need to go ahead and, and keep at it, see what happens. And so I actually remember the catalyst point of when I made my first good beer. And it was uh, listening to a Brewing Network podcast that had Annie Johnson on it. Annie Johnson was 2013 uh, Home Brewer of the Year. And um, in the conversation, she had talked about, um, you know, uh, dealing with um, not drinking while you're brewing and certain little processes and practices that, that she implemented into her brew day that, you know, brought her success. So being that she was the first woman home brewer of the year, she was also the first black person uh, that has achieved home brewer of the year. And then she was also from Sacramento, where I'm originally from. So you see that where it's like, okay, like you see somebody has reached the pinnacle and they're, you look at them, they look like you and it's like, okay, like I can do this too. And the next beer I ended up doing was a robust porter and I want to say that it was actually a heretic uh, clone for their porter. Um, and it was from a more beer kit that came. And mind you, I made some little adjustments here and there because that's the person that I am. And that was actually the first good beer that I made. So that recipe has kind of changed over the course of time. And it's now our one of our staples in the tap room, which is around about midnight. And what year would this have been? <clears throat> so that's 2013. You know, so I was reading a bunch of interviews with you, and one thing that really stood out to me, which made me think of Malcolm Gladwell's books about how do you become really good at, at something that you want to be good at. You know, they talk about the 10,000-hour rule and all that, but you, while you were in Sacramento, you went and even volunteered at, at breweries, if I, if I read that correctly. Yeah. I actually just got the 10 times rule book uh, yesterday. Yeah. Nice. I'm going to be diving. I started diving into that uh, last night. Well, um, yeah, but, talk, talk yeah, to us I, about sort of just, you know, that wasn't your job. That was your passion, but you went and just volunteered exactly. your time to learn more. Yeah. So I started, um, once I started making some good beer, I started bringing beer to like local restaurants, bars, breweries, and that type of thing. Um, from there I had brought my beer to, um, a local brewery here and they enjoyed what I ended up bringing and offered, let me have a tap takeover. And so um, I ended up having a tap takeover and my beer that the homebrew actually sold more than what their standard beer was in their tap room. Um, so they actually, I didn't really volunteer too much outside of just going to hang out and kind of watch, watching what's going on. Uh, they ended up offering me a job and I ended up taking an assistant brewer job on top of working full time, you know, 50 plus hours at the bank as a manager. Um, I worked at this brewery for about a year, uh, kind of, you know, learning the do's and don'ts, things that you should do, uh, brewing some, some not so good practices, that type of thing. And, uh, from there I kind of grew unhappy. Um, I wanted to be able to kind of experiment more and create my own recipes, you know, brew my own beer. Um, mind you in the standard, you know, brewing setting, I mean, that's standard, you go to a brewery and you're an assistant brewer. No, you're not brewing your own recipes and, you know, you're doing whatever needs to be done. Yeah. And that was fine at the time. Uh, again, you know, it's, but for me, it was a part-time job. So it wasn't like I had to have this job on top of I'm making great beer at home. So, you know, if I don't work here, then it's not going to end all for me. 
Um, so being said that, I ended up leaving and um, continued making my own beer, a different type of thing. Had another tap takeover at a local bar. Um, they're no longer here, but it was Missions Untapped. Uh, yeah. Wonderful place. It was a little dive bar off Broadway. Uh, well, not really a dive bar, but craft beer bar. Yeah. Uh, point. Uh, I guess I can add to the list of places people didn't tell me about that I enjoyed. Um, so had a tap takeover there and uh, it went fantastic. I think I had four beers on tap and all four of them tapped out. These are slim. So five gallon, five gallon slims. Cool. Um, so me and uh, my current business partner uh, used to hang out, have a couple of drinks at that local uh, place. And one day we were out drinking and I was like, Mike, when are we going to open a brewery? And he looked at me and he goes, I've been waiting for you to ask me that. And we literally started working on the business plan a couple of days later. Awesome. Yeah. Um, you, you talked about these tap takeovers. I remember, um, I, I remember whenever you were doing it, but I didn't know it was you at the time. Cause there was a big buzz on social media about it. Um, uh-huh. talk to me about sort of how those kind of opportunities really just, you know, that, that, that has to just kind of catapult your trajectory in sort of an unforeseen way. Right. It definitely helped out within the local craft beer community because it introduced me to a lot of people that, you know, didn't really know about me or beers that I was producing. So even before we had the brewery opening, you know, pretty much had garnered a following for some of the beers that I was producing and some of the fun stuff that was going on. On top of, you know, the couple of tap takeovers, I've won a couple homebrew local homebrew awards and a couple of little local homebrew competitions and stuff like that. And so people kind of knew about the beers that we were producing. So, I mean, literally when we started going into um, creating the brewery, we started hosting like sensory panels and stuff like that uh, to get, you know, feedback for some of the beers we were doing, uh, what kind of direction we should go with some of the beers we were doing. I mean, and we had tons of people that offered to come drink these beers for the sensory program, just based off of, you know, the, what they knew of me from these couple of tap takeovers and and working at the other local brewery. So that definitely helped us within the local scene, uh, starting out, um, kind of brought an excitement to our opening and, and kind of, um, helping us, uh, get off, get off on a good foot. So you can say, uh, within the, the San Antonio craft beer community. Yeah. So when I was in college, I was really into craft beer, but back then there was only a handful of, of craft brewers in the state of Texas. And I remember, you know, they were just trying to be good at their three or four. And then you had St. Arnold start their like divine reserve program. And that was just such a big buzz. And then, you know, I was looking at your list of, of beers and it's, it's a very unique list of beers at, on tap at your, at your tasting room. Uh, talk to me when y'all finally decide to open your own brewery, you obviously wanted it to be different than what else was on the market. Sort of what was your idea? What was your vision for your own brewery? Yeah. Um, dealing with the type of beers that we have on tap originally, I mean, obviously we gravitated towards things that San Antonio wasn't really familiar with. Um, and that kind of helped us, um, as well as, you know, uh, gaining some support within the community. Um, I was heavy into Imperial stouts, barrel aged stouts, IPAs, um, sours, that type of thing. When I used to drink, <clears throat> excuse me, within California back home and that type of stuff. Um, so that was more so what, you know, I had gravitated towards when I started drinking. And so that's what I wanted to produce here. I mean, you look at, we were the first brewery to produce pastry stouts here. We were the first brewery to do a hazy IPAs, well, real hazy IPAs here. Um, we were the first brewery to do pasty, pastry sours here. 
um, and people were excited about those type of projects. Um, over time, uh, I have had the ability to kind of start flexing my brewer's muscles. Um, I'm a very prideful individual, uh, especially when it comes to the beer that we produce here. Um, so when you start hearing those talks like, oh, well, all they make is this or all they make is that, it's like, uh, uh, it's, uh, that might be true, but it's not like I don't know how to make other stuff. So um, over the course of the last year, uh, especially building the uh, tap room and stuff like that, I've had the ability to go ahead and try to diversify our tap wall. Um, so if you look at our tap wall now, it's different than say two, three years ago, two, three years ago, you'd probably come in and we'd have six, seven stouts on tap, two to three IPAs, a couple of sours, and then two loggers. Um, now we have four loggers on tap, um, a Saison, brown ale, uh, a quad, Belgian quad, maybe two stouts on tap, maybe one sour on tap, you know, that type of thing. Um, so it's definitely shifted in the way that we've been producing some of our beers and some of our styles, but what we try to do is make sure that everything that we produce is of quality. Um, and so regardless if, you know, we're more known for our stouts or IPAs, you're going to still get a quality beer of whatever style you choose to come and have when you come to the brewery. Is the, is the tasting room and the brewery in the same location? Yes. Okay. So it's all one big building. Uh, we're on Embassy Oaks. By the theater? Yeah, uh, actually right across the street from the theater. Okay. Um, so you and Mark decide, uh, was it 2016, did you say? Yeah, uh, me and Mike started working on the brewery about 2015, and we opened in November 2016. Okay, talk to me about sort of the growth. And, you know, I know you all talk about it in terms of barrels, right? <clears throat> so so how, how have you all grown in terms of uh, quantity or, or volume over the last five years? Yeah, yeah. Um, as far as growth goes, um, we've done about 30% growth every year. Wow. Um, so it hasn't been bad. I mean, <laughs> it could be better. Uh, I mean, in our eyes, but 30% growth is 30% growth. Right. Um, so that's something that we've uh, been really uh, happy about is that we have been able to grow over the course of time uh, within those few years that we've been open. Uh, we looked at COVID and we actually did take a hit. Um, especially with the, uh, the lack of, um, customers and different things that, uh, obviously didn't come out because of the virus. And so we had moved towards a, like, um, to go method. And originally like uh, a lot of the craft beer scene definitely did come out and support the breweries and try to sustain what they could, but obviously that's not going to sustain 18 to 20 different breweries within the entire city over the course of over a year. Um, so we definitely did take a hit within last year, uh, but because of the initiative and, uh, some of the popularity that we have garnered since then, uh, we definitely have had the, uh, streamline of growth, um, to the point to where we've had to hire somebody to assist us with trying to manage the growth, obviously, because me and Mike don't know anything about brewery growth, uh, as this is our first brewery in attempt. So we have somebody that's come in that's, um, helped, uh, recently, uh, the growth of Aspen coffee. They're here within San Antonio and they're the ones that produce, uh, coffee for like, uh, Starbucks and Chameleon and, and that type of thing, uh, as far as the cold brew offerings. Um, and so he's now our chief operations officer and has been working directly with me to kind of manage uh, some of the new things that we have going on. Uh, recently, oh, let me shut the door. I'm sorry. 
recently we ended up um, starting Burst Distro. Uh, Burst Distro is delivering certain specialty products over the course to uh, various states, uh, even countries. Um, so we started sending beer to California, Nevada, uh, Virginia, New York, uh, Florida, um, let's see, China, um, oh. Japan. Uh, some of our beer will be going to Europe, Canada. Um, you know, we're going to start sending beer uh, a little more further down to Texas, uh, you know, the Corpus Christi's and, and El Paso areas and different things like that. Um, so being said that, we definitely need somebody here to kind of assist us with that, make sure we don't mess up certain opportunities uh, for sure. But even then, um, we started uh, our canning line recently. Um, so you're going to see a lot more of our West Coast IPA, uh, a lot more of our hardwood classic within cans. Um, it's actually going into Walmarts across Texas wow. um, starting the 9th. Um, so starting the night, you're going to be able to start seeing, uh, West coast and hardwood, um, in Walmart's across Texas. Um, even outside of that, our hardwood classic, our, um, Pilsner, um, has gone ahead and entered AT&T center for the rest of the Spurs season. Nice. So you'll be able to have, you'll be able to have hardwood there, um, out of the can and that type of thing. So we're really excited about some of the things that we have going on and, and some of the growth, um, that we've had. Um, based on some of the recent things over the course of the last like eight or nine months or so. So what are the best sellers? Our best sellers are definitely going to be our West Coast IPA, which I'm drinking now. Uh, we're actually canning. Uh, we're sending uh, 105 cases to a beer festival for Beer Advocate. Um, they're having an extreme IPA festival. Nice. And this is the offering that we're sending. And then um, Outside of that, uh, definitely would be Hardwood Classic, which is going into cans and available at places across San Antonio currently. Um, and then outside of that, you know, our stouts are always best sellers whenever we put those on. So are y'all still considered a micro or are y'all a small? Yeah, we're, we're considered a brew pub. Are y'all considered a brew pub? Yeah. Oh, because that's some so of the law that changed, right? That yeah. now brew pubs uh, can well, sell? Uh, yeah, so we're considered a brew pub. We had to classify ourselves as obviously as a restaurant when that little situation happened uh, dealing with COVID. Um, but we're a brew pub, and you could be a brew pub until you hit 10,000 barrels. And I don't see us hitting 10,000 barrels until probably four or five years from now. How many That's barrels are you at now? Um, we're hoping to hit about twenty-five to 3,000 this okay. year. And what would be a microbrewery if y'all were a brewery? Um, a brewer, a regular brewery would be 10,000 barrels to, I think it's a hundred thousand. Oh. And then anything over a hundred thousand is the big boys. Yeah. I remember when St. Arnold's went from ri micro to small to medium, you know, in like yeah. two years and they made a big deal about that. Um, you know, I think the timings, oh, um, no, no, I've covered that. So. The timing is kind of perfect, you know. On TV right now is the the George Floyd trial, and that wasn't timed. But it, you started this initiative, and it, you're going to be able to better explain it. But it seems like you kind of started it because you wanted to um, give back and also, you know, s sort of have some sort of say through your work uh, in what's happening. But it really just took off. Talk to us about the Black is Beautiful initiative and kind of how you thought it up, and then how it grew. Yeah, um, Black is Beautiful initiative actually came to fruition over the course of a couple of days in May. Um, I was actually on my 
way to Dallas um, to go up to Turning Point, uh, which is a brewery up there. And I was listening to Brianna Taylor's mom talk on The Breakfast Club um, about the course of actions of her finding out how her daughter was murdered. Um, that conversation was so hard to listen to. It literally brought me to tears. Um, on the course of on the way there, you're listening to the whole thing dealing with the protests and different things like that. On the way back, you're listening to the protests and, you know, it's getting you up in arms. It's, you know, making you upset with some of the things that are going on. Uh, but like I said earlier in the conversation, I'm kind of, you know, the introvert. So, and it was peak COVID. Um, so I'm not going to the protests, uh, that type of thing. But for me, I, it made me disappointed within myself that I wasn't going because we're at such a prolific point in history and I'm sitting at home, right? It's like, what are you going to do to contribute? What are you going to do to give back? It's like the the thing where people always run their mouths about something, but then don't ever take action into whatever they're talking about. Um, so for me, I've always been pro, pro-Black pro in the sense I'm proud of who I am. I'm, I'm a proud Black man. Um, and so, um, for that reason, I felt like I needed to do something. So originally I was going to do black is beautiful as a standalone release within the brewery, uh, release some beer, uh, take some of those donations and then donate them, uh, to the know your rights camp. But then I was having a conversation with Jeffrey Stuffings up at Jester King, uh, in Dripping Springs. And we're over the course of the weekend, we were having a conversation about like Trump, race relations, um, family, that type of thing. And at some point I had sent him the mock-up of the label. It was like, hey, you know, uh, this is what I'm thinking about doing in retaliation to what's going on. And his response was, I would understand if you don't want to, but you should turn this into a collaboration. And what he was referencing was like uh, what other half did the all together beer or Sierra Nevada did with the resilience. And so um, I was like, you know what, Jeff, that's actually a great idea. Um, so that was that Friday, Saturday, I started working on like a mission statement trying to create, well, no, that was Saturday. So Sunday started working on the mission statement uh, kind of more. So what I wanted to represent within the um, initiative sent it off to a couple of industry people, sent it off to a couple of friends uh, just to kind of get their opinions or things needed to be changed or whatever the case may be. Um, so I ended up uh, going to sleep that night, but really couldn't sleep. Mine was racing. So I got up at three o'clock in the morning and just went to the brewery and I typed out the entire initiative that you see on the blackestbeautiful.beer website front to back. So, you know, the mission statement, what we're asking, uh, the recipe, um, Kevin literally had me, the KD designs literally had me the finished finalized label at 10.58 and I had a meeting at 11 o'clock and I think I printed out the initiative. I was done around like 10.55, like that, here you go. Printed it, uh, brought it to our Monday meeting. It was like, this is how I'm feeling and this is what we're going to do. Everybody uh, was on board. Not that they really had a choice anyway, uh, but everybody was really excited about what we wanted to do. Um, so we ended up posting a video that Monday, uh, just kind of as a teaser, and it had got great reception. And so the next day we ended up actually launching the initiative and it turned out to an amazing response. Um, so for those that don't know what the Black is Beautiful initiative is, it's a call to arms. Originally what it was was a call to arms to breweries across the United States to participate in a collaborative effort and brewing a recipe that was created here at Weathered Souls um, in support of equality, police brutality, and inclusion. 
the requirement was you brew the stout, use the label, and then donate 100% of those proceeds to local organizations. Um, so off the gate, I think when the first had 300 people involved themselves, and I think I originally I told uh, my business partner, like my goal was 250 breweries. Um, so then within the course of over a month or two, you know, we hit that 1200 mark, um, all 50 States, there's multiple countries, I think 25, 26 different countries that have involved themselves. But since then it's transcended just beyond beer, you look at beer and you realize that the beer itself is just the message, right? It's just the vessel, but the overall, um, real thing that black is beautiful about is creating that conversation you know having those hard to have conversations that you wouldn't normally have with individuals um you know it's also the commerce aspect so 100 of these proceeds are going to organizations that are going to support communities support charities support organizations that are supporting people of color and, and minorities um and creating change and so you look at that and now it's transcended into other businesses so you have uh, coffee makers involved themselves, uh, chocolate makers involved themselves. Um, you've had, um, let's see, uh, distilleries, wineries. And so this literally can transcend to any service industry um, and create something that, you know, can transcend beyond who knows how far we're going to look at. I mean, you look at the total donation amount and I've only had about 308 responses and it was already at $1.7 million. Wow. So you figure that's only a fourth of the actual people that have involved themselves. And so once we got a real tally of, of the amount of commerce that's been moved, like we've literally have made history. The beer industry has literally made history. Like you look at this and I don't think there's been any other service industry that has created a social justice initiative that has moved so much commerce and support of equality. And it's crazy that the brewing industry of all places is the one to do it because, again, the brewing industry is always labeled as not inclusive or, you know, uh, not the greatest uh, industry for people of color. Um, I mean, you look at and there's 8,500 different breweries in the United States and there's less than 1% of black ownership. I mean, even in this great state of Texas, I mean, there's over 380 breweries. And as far as I know, there's only two black head brewers in the entire state. Um, so you look at those, you look at those numbers and just to show what the brewing industry has done in support of that, it's crazy. So, you know, in some of the interviews I read, you kind of talk about how this initiative, but you also talk about it in terms like you just discussed how the beer culture, which for people who don't know, there is a real beer culture. I mean, there's magazines, there's podcasts, there's events for the beer culture of people and you you've mentioned and you mentioned again how there's not many people of color within that beer culture prior to the black is beautiful as you were starting it did you find hurdles that were in place or um you know did you did you very fortunate i've been very fortunate in the beer scene i can't sit here and say that that i've never not had a negative experience within the brewing industry but it's few far less than the positive experiences that i've had and most of the negative experiences have been me as a consumer, um, not in the actual industry itself as a head brewer, as an owner. It's been more so like you go out to drink somewhere and somebody thinks that you don't know anything about beer. Sure. They, they do that simple, simplized, try to educate you about beer, you know, that type of thing. Or, you know, you go to a tap room and you're the only minority in the entire tap room. And it feels like those eyes are on you. Like, what is he doing in here type thing? Um, so I've had those experiences, but as far as the actual 
craft beer uh, culture that I've received um, since being in the industry, I've been very well received. I've, I mean, my mentors have all been Caucasian. I mean, when you look at, again, there's not many of me in the industry. And so, I mean, even starting out, it wasn't really viable for me to reach out to these individuals to, um, to have their involvement in my growth. But there was a lot of uh, Caucasian males um, that have put themselves out there to assist in my growth. So you look at Mraz Brewing um, in El Dorado Hills, California. He used to let me come volunteer back you know, in the day when I was homebrewing and stuff like that, living in Sacramento, helping out. I mean, we used to have a beer group called Brothers Beer, and it was just um, in support of creating camaraderie within everybody. So even before Black is Beautiful, when I was homebrewing, and we're still trying to create camaraderie within the brewing industry, because we obviously seen that lack of individuals that look like me within those tap rooms. Um, so, I mean, he was brewing, you know, uh, Black IPAs and naming it, you know, Brothers Beer. We were going to um, younger Fe- the Younger Fest for Russian River and the entire breweries chanting Brothers of Beer and stuff <laughs> like that. So we've always had support within the, the community and craft beer. I mean, I moved, when I moved out here and was home brewing uh, Jeffrey Stuffings from Jester King, um, I ended up being first in uh, line for one of his releases for Atrial, and that's how me and him met. And I introduced myself, you know, I'm a home brewer, blah, blah, blah. Like, I would love for you to try my beer one day. This is when I was like a fan of this individual. And we've grown to become friends now. But I used to be a real fan. Like, for me to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and go sit, you know, until 11 a.m. to to get a beer, you know, you have to be a real fan of somebody. Um, And so even then, him trying our beers and – uh, giving us so much uh, information on the business end of how to support our brewery and different things like that. Um, so I've been very fortunate um, in the sense of the people that I've had behind me in support of the brewery and, and different things like that. Um, so it's definitely been different than um, some other people's experiences. I know some people that have had very negative experiences, uh, but for myself, it's it's been definitely an amazing journey. Um, even going into since the Black is Beautiful initiative, I'm now on the board of directors for the Brewers Association. That's not something that I would ever think that I'd be able to do in my life um, or dealing with, um, you know, Texas Craft Brewers Guild, uh, the same thing. Like, you know, at the end of the day, um, these are different little feats that you would not think that individuals like me would be able to do within the, the industry. Um, I'm the first minority to ever sit on the Texas craft brewer skill. Wow. And then also assisted, also assisted within them with creating a diversity uh, committee that was launched this year. Um, so, you know, those are definitely some proud moments that I've been able to, to have within the industry uh, within the last year or so. And, and looking at your menu, it reminded me of Jester King, which has a, a cult following. Like you just said, people get up in the middle of the night to go wait in line for a release. Are, are, do y'all have a similar following here in San Antonio of people that are always sure. waiting on the new releases and things like that? Um, we have had those type of releases. Um, things kind of change as we've grown. Um, you know, some of our stuff used to be a lot more small batch uh, than what they are now. So there's obviously more availability. Uh, but definitely, you know, there would be those times that we had a specialty release and there's people that are getting in line at three o'clock in the morning, uh, the wait in line for these releases. And you show up, like show up to the brewery and there's 120 people in line all the way down to Magnolia Picnic House. And, uh, we've definitely been able to have those experiences with some of the releases that we've had. 
So you were a home brewer who ended up finding and getting to live out your passion for your career. Are you doing anything or do you have any programs or competitions for home brewers? Um, so we do host the yearly, uh, homebrew competition here. Nice. Um, we didn't do it during COVID obviously. Um, but we'll run it back this year. Uh, so what we do is, yeah, open up a, a beer style because people can produce certain beer styles within that range. And we go through, pick the best beer and then, uh, brew that beer with said, uh, winner. And then they get to release the beer within our tap room. Very cool. Um, yeah. And then this year I'll actually be the keynote speaker for homebrew con, um, in June for, for the Brewers Association. So that should be fun too. Yeah. And it'll, it'll provide source, you know, a lot of inspiration for a lot of people who are doing it at home and kind of want to be in your shoes one day. Um, exactly. you know, I, I have a small business, you have a small business and we all have growing pains and it's been in the news lately. You know, I wish you were here drinking that and then we could, you know, yeah. I'm over here making a mess. Yeah. Um, it sounds like the Black is Beautiful campaign took off way bigger than y'all expected. Um, it's kind of had some growing pains that have been in the news here recently. Is there any sort of uh, plan to kind of, I don't know, you know, really organize, organize it within its own uh, nonprofit to, to provide some sort of yeah, accountability so and things like that? that's the ultimate goal. That's definitely the ultimate goal for the initiative is to definitely have it grow into its own nonprofit. Um, at the end of the day, you know, we're a very small uh, brewery in a sense. And so our resources are limited. Um, so definitely what I want to do within the future of, uh, of this project is kind of grow it into a nonprofit, let it be self-sustainable and continue to grow and, and help the community and, and support those people that need it. Well, um, what advice do you have for people that are following their passion? I mean, that's the one thing I, when I read about you, it's just pretty clear. You've known for a long time that you love making beer and now you're getting to live that out. What advice do you have for people that are kind of sitting in their shoes thinking, I wish I could, you know, do, do and really follow my passion. Don't give up. Uh, <laughs> that's the best thing that I can tell you. Uh, you know, uh, for me, it was literally, once I had that in my mind that I wanted to open a brewery, I was getting up at three o'clock in the morning to go downstairs and, and brew beer in the garage. And, you know, uh, at one point, I think I had four or five beers on rotation at a time. It was like once a week, literally brewing. Uh, um, you know, you can't give up on your passion and you have to, it's a passion, right? So, you know, you have to eat, sleep, breathe it. Um, that could be the, the best advice that I have for the, for anybody that really has a passion for something that they really want to do. I mean, obviously don't give up your, your normal, uh, life. I mean, um, I didn't quit the, my city bank job until we were like a month or two within the brewery. So definitely, you know, don't quit life to pursue your passion, but you know, you got to put those efforts in, um, and put that drive in to be able to achieve what you want. So y'all were recently named a uh, brewery of the year by uh, hop culture magazine. You're right here in San Antonio. Y'all have got a brew pub, which people can go eat food as well as, as have drinks. It's at 606 embassy Oaks. Is that right? Yep. 606 embassy Oaks. Yeah. We ended up getting a uh, home brewer of the year. We ended up getting a uh, cause of the year. Awesome. Um, you know, last year I ended up getting a, uh, Wine Enthusiast, 40 Under 40, Top Tastemaker of the Year. 
Uh, we were just featured in San Antonio Women's Magazine as the guy to know for the month, um, you know, that type of things. But yeah, I mean, we have amazing food that's done by uh, Chef Andrew. Uh, you know, he owns Dignity Meats, South Barbecue. No uh, joke. So he's putting out some, yeah, so he's putting out that. some amazing burgers and barbecue here. Um, I think I want to say we're starting Taco Tuesday this week. Um, and then outside of that, obviously the amazing beers that we have to pair with the barbecue. Um, so definitely if you guys haven't been by the brewery or looking to come by the brewery, come, come check us out. Outdoor seating. Yeah, we definitely have outdoor seating. And then where can people find your, do they, do y'all have bottled beer to go at most HEBs or? Um, so no bottled beer to go. Uh, but what we do is within the tap room, we always have beer to go. Um, and then again, uh, starting April 9th, you'll be able to catch Hardwood Classic in West Coast uh, within Walmarts across San Antonio, Walmarts across Texas. Um, and then also check some of your local locations around town uh, that carry craft cans as uh, West Coast and Hardwood Classic will be in some of those as well. No placement Place- HEB yet? Not yet. Okay. That might come soon. We'll, well see what happens. Well, I've wanted to meet you for a long time, and I hope I can get over there one day and, and catch you while you're brewing, or, or I'll just pop in one day and introduce myself. But I appreciate you spending time with me. You know, I think everybody in the city owes you a debt for not only what you're doing for the beer scene, but also what you're doing for this movement. I mean, it's incredible. You've put San Antonio on the map in multiple ways, and I think that's 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 awesome. And I look forward to everything that's uh, going to happen with you guys because it sounds like y'all are, you know, rattling cages and, and, and making noise and, and doing good things for the city every year. So I, I'm sure that's going to continue. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, Marcus, I appreciate it, man. You take care. Um, thanks again for joining us. And, uh, and, uh, and I hope to meet you in person very soon. Yeah, definitely. Come by. All right, man. Take care. Thank you. All right. Cheers. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of the Alamo Hour. Thanks again to Marcus for joining us. If you haven't done any research into who he is and what he is doing, um, you know, take a minute and go Google him. Uh, look up Weathered Souls. If you're a real beer drinker, they've got all the kinds of, of different styles that you might like uh, and a lot of adventurous styles. Um, you know, our guest wish list continues. Uh, I just keep bugging Shea Serrano on Twitter, but he ignores me, Coach Popovich. Uh, I'm very hopeful that that you're going to join me one day very soon, and and you know now I'm inspired on the beer scene. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna bug the guy from Alamo Beer uh, who was previously scheduled, but then he was unable to make it, so I'm gonna get him back on the schedule. Uh, so thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Alamo Hour. You are all what make this city so great. We hope you join us next week. In the meantime, subscribe to our podcast. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash alamohour or our website, alamohour.com. Until next time, viva San Antonio.